You are listening to Pastor Fred Neal III of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Jesus Came for Sinners, recorded on May the 21st, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Fred as he preaches. Let's go ahead and get into the message. The message for this weekend is titled, Jesus Came for Sinners. To get us thinking about what we're going to read in the Gospel of Mark this weekend, I want to ask a couple of questions. The first one is, who would you consider to be too lost to to be saved? Who would you consider to be too lost or too bad or too sinful to be saved? Who is it that you think couldn't possibly come to Christ because of how far gone they are? Maybe somebody comes to mind. Maybe a particular group of people comes to mind. Maybe you think, you think that of yourself. Maybe there's some people that are thinking, well, uh, that, that's actually how I feel about myself. I don't think, I think I've done too much wrong. I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. I, I've, I've rebelled against God in too many ways for too long. God could not possibly save me. Or perhaps you think that of somebody else. Somebody you know in your family or a friend. Somebody you think there's just no way God would save them. Well, with that in mind, let's look at Mark 2, verses 13 through 17 together. I'd like to read, uh, and you can follow along with your Bible or on the screen. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is our text. This is the text that we're going to look at together today. We see again Jesus' call to follow him is met again with an apparent abandonment of things that would have been very important, things that would have been costly to leave behind. Levi, who is also known as Matthew, he is also known as Matthew. In fact, he is the Matthew who would later uh, write the gospel of Matthew. This Levi becomes one of the 12 apostles. He also goes by the name of Matthew. And the book that bears his name is written by this man. This Levi is a tax collector. He leaves behind his lucrative post as a tax collector to follow Jesus. As shocking as Jesus' call of such ordinary men like the four fishermen that he called a little bit earlier in Mark's gospel may have been to many. Many people probably would have thought, what, it, what was it about those four men? Those were just ordinary, working-class dudes. 
and Jesus calls them. And, and many people are puzzled by that. But as much as they may have been puzzled by him calling those four fishermen, this is vastly more controversial here. Jesus calls a tax collector. Now, we have tax collectors today. In fact, we just voted on our tax collectors here in the primary election this past week. In our society, tax collectors are normally good people. That's how they get voted into that office. They're people that, they're people that you trust, people that you think good things of. In Jesus' day, tax collectors were very hated people. Let me tell you why they were so hated, and some of you are already going to know this, but, but just to make sure we're all on the same page. Tax collectors were hired by the Roman government, which from the Jews' perspective was a, a, an enemy occupier of their nation. The Roman government was not welcomed there by the Jews. The, the Romans, like so many other empires before them, ruled the Jews by force. They took them over and controlled their land by force. And so the Roman government hired tax collectors to collect taxes from their fellow Israelites, but they also gave them the freedom to charge above what was required and to keep the difference for themselves. And so it became very common practice that these tax collectors would charge people not only the, the, the high taxes that the Roman Empire already required, but way above and beyond that, and then they would keep the extra for themselves. So what we have here with these tax collectors are fellow Israelites, people who should be just as upset about the Roman rule over Israel as everybody else who have betrayed their countrymen and they have found a way to get rich off of their betrayal. They were very hated people. If you could imagine, I don't know, pick any, any enemy of the United States that you want to think of. Let's, let's go with North Korea. If you could imagine if North Korea took over the United States of America and occupied our country and made us live under their rules and under their laws and, and imposed taxes on the American people and used the, the money from those taxes to, to fund whatever this madman, Kim Jong-un, ever wanted to build or to buy or to do for himself. If they took money out of our pockets and gave it to him for his insane regime... We would be a little bit bothered by that, wouldn't we? We would probably resent that they did that. Now, what if, what if to collect those taxes, some of our friends, some of our neighbors, maybe even some of our family members volunteered to become tax collectors to take this job of taking the money for, uh, for, from us for the North Koreans? But instead of just taking what the North Koreans required, they took a little extra and they got richer and richer as we became poorer and poorer. And all of a sudden, they were moving into nicer houses than we had. And we were having to move out of the nice houses that we had into, into not as nice houses. How would we feel about these people who have betrayed us? These fellow Americans who had given their soul for something so evil as this. And what if we were powerless to stop them? 
What if we could do nothing to stop them because they had the support of the North Korean government and army to enforce these laws? We would most certainly hate and resent them, wouldn't we? These are traitors, thieves. They are among the lowest forms of human life. If you can understand that, you can, you can begin to understand how people in, in Mark felt about tax collectors. See, these are very different than our tax collectors. If you, can, if you can feel the hatred that you would feel towards somebody like that, the resentment that you would hold against them, now you're starting to understand why they're so upset that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors. Not only were they bad people in the social sense, but they were also not religiously committed. They're they're referred to here not only as tax collectors, but as sinners. And sinners, that's just a, a rather general term to speak of people who had no religious commitment to the Jewish faith. People who weren't interested in even trying to pretend like they were going to be faithful. And in this battle between Israel and the Roman oppressors, and the, and, and the religious freedom that the Israelites sought after in that battle, the tax collectors were on the other side. They were on the side of the Romans. And so you have to think that the Jewish people thought of these tax collectors and they thought when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes, the one who they were expecting to come and to make all of this stuff right, the one who was going to come and overthrow this Roman oppressive government, the one who was going to come and restore Israel and make Israel back to the great nation that it was supposed to be, when the Messiah comes, tax collectors are going to be among the first that he's going to come and judge and punish. These guys better just wait till the Messiah gets here. That's how they would have thought. That's how they would have viewed these people. But the Messiah does come. And he does the unexpected thing of inviting this tax collector to follow him. He does the opposite of what everybody thought, no doubt what everybody hoped he would do when he appeared. They couldn't wait for these guys to get what they had coming. And here is the Messiah, though they've not acknowledged that yet though they've not perhaps even come to realize that yet. We know from our perspective, the Messiah has come. It is this Jesus of Nazareth, and he comes, and instead of beelining after this tax collector to put his finger in his chest and say, what have you been doing? He says, Levi, come. Come follow me. Even the fishermen are scratching their heads at this one. Andrew and Simon and James and John, these these men that that Jesus had called to follow him, even these guys are scratching their heads. In fact, these were working class guys. Nobody hated the tax collectors more than the working class because nobody suffers more under that type of political scene than the working class. These were fishermen. No, No doubt the tax collectors were always in their pockets. Could you imagine being a, a hard-working fisherman like, like Andrew and Simon and James and John and, and being out on the boat all day or, or sometimes all night and working hard trying to make a living, trying to provide for your family? 
and then you, you head towards shore and you finally got enough fish to, to put together a few bucks and to get some food and there's the tax collector waiting to get his hands in your pockets and take from you what you have worked hard to earn. These guys are following Jesus and Jesus sees the tax collector and says, come on, come with us. Come be one of us. We got to think, we're speculating here, but we got to think these guys are really struggling with this decision. It's probably not just the Pharisees that don't understand this. Maybe it's some of Jesus' followers themselves. And what we see here is that Jesus' choice of followers is quickly becoming a scandal. It's becoming, a, it's coming, becoming quite a scandal among Jesus' ministry. He's collecting all kinds of, of strange people. And, and then we see here in verse 15, it says, and as he reclined at table in his house. Now, we, we know from Luke that this is at Levi's house. Luke tells us Levi, after Jesus called him to follow, throws a big party. He throws a banquet and he invites all of his friends. He invites all of his tax collector friends and, and any, any, any of his associates and acquaintances are there with them. He, he's, he throws this party when Jesus calls him. It says, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw, what he was eat, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's a, that's a great question. What are you doing, Jesus? You... You have to understand, Jesus has presented himself as a teacher. Jesus has gone into their synagogues, which is where they would gather for worship. And when they gathered for worship, somebody, somebody who was qualified to teach these Pharisees and, and the scribes of the Pharisees, somebody who had the religious qualifications to be teachers, those who had been trained in the law, those who knew what to say and, and how to say it, would get up and teach. And Jesus has gone into their synagogues and he has presented himself as a teacher. He's teaching them with authority, with an authority that astonishes them, Mark has already told us. And he's gathering a following. People are paying attention. Not only that, but this guy's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's got, he's got people pressing in to be with him. He is quickly becoming established, at the very least, as a significant teacher among Israel. Though he was not popular with the Pharisees, he was becoming a star among the people. People loved to hear Jesus talk. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to be healed by him. They were embracing him as a leader in their community, as a teacher, as an authority. But you see, there was this unbreakable rule among the Jewish leaders of that time. There was an unbreakable rule among them that required teachers and religious leaders to separate themselves from unholy people. 
That was their way of becoming more holy, to get as far away from the sin and the sinful people of the world as you could. In fact, to be holy means to be separated, to be set apart. And so that was their practice. And so the Pharisees and the the religious leaders, they would literally not go near unholy people like tax collectors. They would not be caught dead going into the house of a tax collector. And, And as for these sinners, these people who had no interest in obedience to their religious law, they could not associate with them. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This guy, he's presenting himself as a teacher. He's presenting himself as a leader in our religious community. And here he is, breaking one of the most important rules of being a religious teacher and leader in our community. We don't go to to tax collectors' houses Not only is he there, he's reclined, he's eating, he's drinking with them. They're singing a little bit of Jewish karaoke together. Jesus is at this party, and he doesn't doesn't seem to understand. Jesus has entered into a very strict no-fly zone. You don't do this if you want to be a good, proper Jew. You don't associate with people like this. Make no mistake here, this is a scandal of large proportion. This is a big deal to them. They are very upset with the decision that he has made, not only to call Levi to be his follower, but now to go and make himself at home with all of Levi's associates. To be known as someone who who eats with tax collectors and sinners, that is that does not mix with being the teacher that he has presented himself as. He teaches with authority. He obviously has great power. People love him, but he's completely disregarding their rules for being a spiritual leader. He's paying no attention to them, and they're not happy about it. And so someone raises the obvious question when they see this happen, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We have to acknowledge this is a valid question. If we could put ourselves in their shoes, Jesus has crossed over into enemy lines not to declare war, but to become a friend. This very weekend, our president, the president of the United States of America, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get political here, I'm not going to talk about his views or any of that, but our president, the president of the United States of America, is going into the Middle East, the place on earth that is most hostile to the United States of America. Now, he's going over there to be diplomatic and to strengthen relationships and to work on solving problems, but what if over the course of this trip, images or videos surfaced of him gathering at a table with our greatest enemies, kicked back, relaxed, enjoying food, laughing, having a beer, doing just friendly stuff with the enemies of the United States of America. That would be a scandal. That's what we have here. Jesus is 
is claiming to be one of the good guys, but he's doing one of the things that the good guys have vowed to never do. He's gone into enemy territory and he's made himself at home. Look, Jesus, you, you just can't do this. You can't, you can't be just picking any guy you meet on the street to follow you. You got to go after the, the ones who have already proven themselves to be committed Jews. You're picking fishermen and tax collectors, and now you're at this party, and you're just, you're just hanging out with all of the wrong people. You can't be serious about calling this Levi guy to be your follower. What are you doing? And when Jesus heard it, verse 17, he said to them, I love this. Remember, their question is, what? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Great question. Jesus has a, a better answer, though. He says, and it says, and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Why do you eat with these people, they asked Jesus. Well, why does a mechanic go into a car garage? Why does a chef go into a kitchen? Why does a doctor hang out at a hospital around all those sick people? Because that's what they're supposed to do. That's why they exist. That's why he exists. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I came not to call the righteous but sinners. You see, they're so concerned with escaping the sinfulness of this world, of separating themselves from everything they consider to be unholy, that they have missed the reason they're in this world to begin with. And Jesus comes to remind them. And he makes sure they hear this point loud and clear. They can't even see the obvious purpose of Jesus coming into this world. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because God sent his Son into the world to save those who need to be saved. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is his purpose for being on the earth. They ask Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, I'm so glad you asked. Because this is why I came. This is why I'm here. I'm here to save the sick. I'm not here for the righteous. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what he means by that in a minute. I came for sinners. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. With one answer, Jesus silences their objections. So this is our text. Let's take a couple of notes here. I want you to get out the, the map that was inside your brochure, if you haven't already. I want to I jot down a couple of notes as we go through this. The first thing you see on there, <clears throat> only Jesus is righteous. 
Everyone else is a sinner in need of him. When Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, we have to understand who he's talking about. He's sticking his finger in the eye of the Pharisees. He's saying, I didn't come for you who think you're righteous. I didn't come for you who who think you don't need a savior. I came for these guys. I came for the sin sick man and woman who knows they are done unless somebody comes to save them. And here's the reality. There are no righteous people. Only those who believe they're righteous. Only those who don't think they need a savior or need any help from God to be, to be okay. The Pharisees embodied this perfectly. The Pharisees were the perfect embodiment of what it means to be self-righteous, to believe that you have so perfectly uh, obeyed God's commands that he must be so pleased with you. When, when God sees how I've been living, he's just going to be tickled to death with how well I'm doing. Those people never receive the Savior, do they? Some, some people struggle with this idea that there are no righteous people, but it's really just a matter of, of how you're judging people, what standard you're measuring people's righteousness by. Because here's the truth. When we measure each other by our, let's say, the standard we set for our, ourselves or or just the standard that we have in humanity in general. There are people that appear to be better than others, right? There are, there are some people that, that seem to be good and some people that, that definitely seem to be bad. When we compare ourselves to one another, there are good people and bad people. But God doesn't measure like that. God measures everybody by a standard that we all fall short of. You understand... What, I, what I'm saying here, you know, a couple here this week, in the last couple of days, a, a man drove a car through a crowd of people in Times Square in New York City, killed at least one person, injured a, a couple more dozen. That's a bad dude, not a good person. If you compare him to my mom, now I, I'm sucking up here, but Mother's Day was last week. I, I realized that, but it's never too late to suck up to mom a little bit. If you compare that person to my mom, I would say that's a bad guy and she's a good person. My mom would never do something like that. She would never even dream of doing something like that. And so we measure each other by that standard and we say good people and bad people, yeah, we get it. There's some people that deserve reward after this life is over and there's some people that deserve punishment. We think like that. But God doesn't, God's measurement is so precise that he doesn't just measure the things that we perceive to be good and bad. He measures every intention and every thought of our hearts and our minds. And he measures with a standard of perfect righteousness. The reality is my mom has broken God's law many, many times. She has failed as good of a person as she is, as wonderful as a person as she is. She has failed to live 
by the perfect and righteous standard that God has set to judge all human beings by. We measure with an imprecise measurement tool, like a tape measure. We use a tape measure for a lot of things. A tape measure, for most things that you want to measure, it'll get you close enough. But it's rather imprecise. You use a tape measure when you can be, you can be off by, let's say, an eighth of an inch or maybe a little bit more. If, if you only have to get that close, a tape measure will do the job. But there are many things that we need to be much more precise for, and we have, we have precision instruments designed to measure things at a, at a much more precise rate than what we can get with a tape measure. Well, the law of God is like that. It's, it's much more precise. Yeah, you never killed anybody, but Jesus, Jesus said if you have hate in your heart, by God's law, that's the same as murder. Yeah, you've never committed adultery, but Jesus said if you look after another person lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. When, when we start to look at what God's standard is, we're all in trouble. We realize very quickly that there's, there's no possible way any of us are measuring up to the standard that God has set to judge human beings by. That's because there are no righteous people. Only Jesus is righteous. Everyone else is a sinner in need of him. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us what's called imputed righteousness. That means the righteousness that we don't come up with on our own, that we don't produce in and of ourselves, he gives to us as a gift. Imputed means he, he transfers it to us. He, he, he gives us his righteousness so that we can stand before God and suddenly live up to the standard. So that we can stand before God and suddenly be righteous enough just as he requires. He gives us eternal life. He offers to save us. And Levi experienced this. Levi's a crappy person. Not, that's, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is a bad guy. People didn't like him. People's lives were made miserable by him. He had no regard for the good of humanity. He had no regard for God's law or holiness. He's a bad dude. And Jesus looked at him with mercy and saved his sin-sick soul. And so the next thing that we see happen here is immediately after that happens, after he experiences the mercy of God, he wants everybody else to experience it. He goes and he gathers all of his friends. He throws a big banquet. He throws a big party. This is his retirement party. He's leaving behind his post of tax collector. And those weren't easy to get because you could make a lot of money doing that. And there will always be a lot of people that will sell their soul to make a lot of money. If he walked away from that toll booth, he was not going to get it back. And out of gratitude, he invites everybody that he knows to come and see Jesus. Come experience Jesus. And so the next thing on your map, the next note I want you to take is to be like Levi. Invite everyone you know to follow Jesus with you. 
Do everything you can to gather people, to invite people, to to share with them the experience that you have as a believer in Christ. When, When Jesus first called me to follow him, I was in high school. I didn't tell anybody I got saved. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if, I was, if it was a good thing or not yet, to be honest. I didn't know if this was something I wanted people to know that had happened in my life. And I missed a lot of great opportunities. When I was in high school, the reality is I'd get up every day and I'd go to school and there was five to 600 people there who needed to know Jesus. And every day, I'd get up and I'd go to school with those kind of opportunities around me and I, and I rarely said a word to anybody. I rarely mentioned his name. I rarely mentioned what he had done in my life, and I missed a lot of opportunities. And when I left high school and left that opportunity behind me, I've never had another opportunity like it. I went from, I went from high school, I, I worked a secular job for a little while, and I, and I did witness to a few people there, but pretty quickly I went away to Bible college where everybody was already saved. Everybody already knew Jesus. And I went from Bible college here to Harvest Community Church where, you know, you walk in to work here and you're surrounded by pastors. It's like, hey, let me tell you what Jesus... Oh, oh yeah, you already know. <laughs> yeah. I missed a lot of opportunities there. I left a lot of good opportunities on the table. I still see people today who knew me from high school and they're surprised to find out I became a pastor because I never even told them I became a Christian. I hate that. I wish that when I saw people today that that I haven't seen for for 15 years, they'd be like, yeah, dude, I remember when you became a Christian. That was crazy, right? You were telling everybody. That's not what happened. I didn't tell them. And to be honest, I I still stink at this. But you know what I do? I I, I fight and I push myself to grow. Because I want to be more like Levi. I want to be more like a guy who's so excited about what Jesus has done in his life that he can't wait for other people to experience it too. And even though I'm not as as good at it as I want to be, I'm always trying to get better and I'm always trying to challenge myself and to make myself uncomfortable and to put my relationships with other people on the line and say, you know what, even if it pushes them away, even if it makes them not, not respond to my texts anymore, or even if it makes them not want to hang out with me, I want to give them the opportunity to meet Jesus. And we should all be like that. We should all be like Levi, who just takes everything and puts it on the line and says, you guys need to know what Jesus has done in my life. I love what he did. He meets Jesus and he goes and he gets everybody. Maybe you're not any better at this than I am. Maybe you've missed a lot of opportunities too. But will you keep fighting to grow and to do better? Will you keep pushing yourself and keep seeing this as an important part of your Christian life to be inviting other people to experience Jesus too? It can be as simple as asking them to come to church. You can do what, you can do what Levi did. You can invite them over to your house. You, you, can, you can share the gospel with them then and there. Or you could, just, you could just say, hey, man, I really value your friendship. And, and I just want to tell you, I would love for you to come to church with me sometime. You can do this any way that you want, but will you? 
Will you fight to be more like Levi? What would stop you from inviting a bunch of people over to your house and telling them about Jesus or inviting them to church? No doubt Levi lost some friends after this party. I bet a lot of people looked at Levi like he was crazy, said he's lost it. That guy was making a lot of money. He had a good thing going. He gave that up to follow this crazy, this crazy rabbi guy? What's going on with him? But you know what? I bet, he, I bet he gained some brothers and sisters in Christ who today in eternity are thankful that Levi spoke up and said, why don't you come to my house tonight? Jesus is coming over. You got to meet this guy. You won't believe what he's done in my life. Levi's response is in stark contrast to the religious people of his day. He immediately realizes that Jesus came to save sinners. The Pharisees, on the other hand, wanted Jesus to validate their own outward religious performance and to stand with them in condemnation of those who weren't as spiritual as they were. Do you see the contrast of the two responses? You got the religious people who are like, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to pat us on the back and he's going to tell us we've been doing a good job getting everybody ready for him. And then you got these sinners, these guys who knew they didn't fit in, who knew there was no way that when the Messiah came, they were going to have anything to do with him. And Jesus comes to them. Jesus comes to them and he shows them the mercy that their soul needed. And instead of patting on the back the religious guys, he condemns them. And he points the finger at them and he responds to them with with indignation for their self-righteousness. The next thing you see on the map is that Jesus favors saving sinners over affirming the self-righteous. Jesus favors saving sinners over affirming the self-righteous. You better understand this as a Christian. You better not get your nose up in the air and look down on people that aren't as holy and as spiritual and as religious as you are. We better understand this as a church. We better be careful and diligent to always see ourselves as sinners who desperately need the saving grace that Jesus came to bring and be open with welcoming arms to those whom our society looks down upon. You've heard the saying, perhaps, or or some variant of it, the church is, is meant to be a hospital for sinners, not a social club for saints. Is our church somewhere that sinners feel comfortable coming. I mean comfortable in the sense that they, they, they don't feel like they've got to get more religious or they don't feel like they've got to clean themselves up on the outside to be able to come in here. Do they feel embraced the way Jesus embraced Levi? Do you embrace this as our mission that we as a church are to be a hospital for the sin-sick souls that are all around us. 
Luke tells us a parable that I want to share. It's in, in Luke 15, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to start reading it for the sake of time. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, to hear him. I believe this is a different occasion. So this became a pattern in Jesus' ministry. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled again, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. What a beautiful picture. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Again, I don't take this to mean there are righteous people who need no repentance. I think Jesus is putting his finger in the eyes of the Pharisees again, saying, you think you're righteous and need no repentance, but heaven rejoices more over the sinner who repents. This passage also offers us an important reminder here that what causes rejoicing is sinners who repent. Jesus does not go among the sinners and affirm how they've been living. Jesus does not reject the religious just because they're religious and embrace the sinners because he thinks those are the cool guys. He tells them to turn from their sin. He tells them, remember in the beginning of Mark, Jesus came preaching the message, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and believe the good news of the gospel. He calls them to repentance. He calls them to give up their sinful ways and to follow him. And when they do, heaven rejoices. When they do, there's there's joy in heaven that no self-righteous person will will ever know anything of. Jesus brought good news to these tax collectors and sinners, but it was good news that demanded they turn from their sinful lifestyle and become citizens of his kingdom, as we talked about earlier in Mark, through repentance and believing the gospel. So let me ask a couple questions here. I've already asked some of these, but I I just kind of want to land the plane here by asking these questions again, and then I'm going to ask you to respond. The first question, is your self-righteousness keeping you from seeing your need for a savior? Are you convinced that you did not need Jesus to die for you? Do you think that you have lived a life good enough that you can stand before God without what Jesus has done and be received by him as good and righteous? You would be a Pharisee. You would be a self-righteous person who has failed to recognize that you have failed miserably to live up to God's holy standard. And if you don't humble yourself and repent, you will die in your sins and you will face the judgment that you deserve. If you think 
you don't need a savior. God will give you exactly what you hope for. The opportunity to stand before him and be judged in your own merit. To be judged by your own righteousness. And he will judge you as guilty. If you see that tonight, if you see that in yourself, that you have been self-righteous, that you have, you have thought that by living this, this kind of life, going to church and being a good person and being nice to people and all these things, whatever it is that you've used to, to, to justify your own self-righteousness, if you see that tonight and realize that you need a Savior, there's good news. Jesus came for sinners. And if you're ready to count yourself as one, he's ready to save you. Or... Do you think that you are too sinful for Jesus to save? Do you think that you've gone too far? If, if everybody here knew what you did, they wouldn't even want you in here. You, you just have built the case against yourself that Jesus cannot save you. You should read the Bible. Seriously, you should read the Bible. You should look at some of the people that God saved. Moses murdered a man before God called him. David committed adultery with a soldier's wife and then had that soldier killed to cover it up. Could you imagine if one of our presidents did that today? If one of our presidents took a liking to a soldier's wife and had an affair with her and then sent that soldier to be killed in combat to cover it up? That's a bad dude there. That's a bad dude. That's David. King David. God saved him and used him. Paul was a zealous persecutor of Christians before God called him. In fact, the first martyr of the Christian church was martyred at the command of Paul. Jesus came for sinners. He came to save the sin-sick souls. And so whatever it is that you think that you've done that was too bad and too, too far over the line for God to forgive you, he came for you. He came to save you. He came to die for you. He would say to you, just like he says to Levi, come, follow me. Leave your sinful ways behind and come with me. Next question. <clears throat> Who are the tax collectors in your mind, in your world? Who are the people you would cringe at the thought of Jesus associating with or calling them to follow him? Who do you despise? Who do you hate? Who do you resent? Maybe it's drug addicts or drug dealers. Maybe it's liberals. Maybe it's conservatives. Maybe it's homosexuals. Maybe it's heterosexuals. Maybe it's a certain race. Maybe you hate people of a particular skin color. You need to repent today of that and ask God to have mercy on you. That's who he came for. He came for sinners. He came for people who have, who have rebelled against him. And if you hate the thought of those people receiving grace, you don't understand why Jesus came. You need to turn from that today. Lastly, who are you going to invite to follow Jesus? Who are you going to tell to come join you? Who are you going to ask 
to come to church with you? Who are you going to share your story with? Tell them about the good things that God has done. Be like Levi. Tell somebody, invite somebody, grab a hold of somebody, trick them into coming to church with you. Lie to them. It doesn't matter. Who are you going to tell? Tell them we have donuts and cookies and Who are you going to invite to follow Jesus? Do it this week. Don't wait any longer. Do it this week. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.